Henry LaRue rode busily on. The light of the table lamp, softened and enriched by its mosaic shade, gave an appearance of added opulence to the already handsome appointments of the room. The little table clock ticked merrily from half-past eleven to a quarter to twelve. Into the cozy, bookish atmosphere of the novelist's study penetrated the muffled chime of Big Ben. It chimed the three quarters, but with his mind centered upon his work, LaRue wrote on ceaselessly. An odd figure of a man was this popular novelist, with patchy and untidy hair, which lessened the otherwise striking contour of his brow. A neglected and unpicturesque figure in a baggy, neutral-colored dressing gown, a figure more fitted to a garret than to this spacious, luxurious workroom, with the soft light playing upon rank after rank of rare and costly additions, deepening the tones in the Persian carpet, making red Morocco more red, purifying the vellum and regilding the gold of the choice bindings, caressing lovingly the bust and statuettes surmounting the bookshelves, and twinkling upon the scantily covered crown of Henry LaRue. The doorbell rang. LaRue, heedless of external matters, pursued his work, but the doorbell rang again and continued to ring. Sams! Sams! LaRue raised his voice irascibly, continuing to write the while. Where the devil are you? Can't you hear the doorbell? Soames did not reveal himself, and to the ringing of the bell was added the unmistakable rattling of a letterbox. Soames! LaRue put down his pen and stood up. Damn it, he's out! I have no memory. He retied the girdle of his dressing gown, which had become unfastened, and opened the study door. Opposite, across the entrance lobby, was the outer door, and in the light from the lobby lamp he perceived two laughing eyes peering in under the upraised flap of the letterbox. The ringing ceased. Are you very angry with me for interrupting you? cried a girl's voice. My dear Miss Cumberley, said LaRue without irritation, on the contrary, er, uh, I am delighted to see you, or rather to hear you. There is nobody at home, you know. I do know, replied the girl firmly, and I know something else also. Father assures me that you simply starve yourself when Mrs. LaRue is away, so I have brought down an omelette. Omelette? muttered LaRue, advancing toward the door. You have, uh, brought an omelette? I understand, yes, you have brought an omelette? Uh, that is very good of you. He hesitated when about to open the outer door, raising his hands to his disheveled hair and unshaven chin. The flap of the letterbox dropped, and the girl outside could be heard stifling her laughter. "'You must think me uh, very rude,' began LaRue. "'I mean, not to open the door, but—' "'I quite understand,' concluded the voice of the unseen one. "'You are a most untidy object.' and I shall tell Mira directly she returns that she has no right to leave you alone like this. Now I am going to hurry back upstairs, so you may appear safely. Don't let the armor get cold. Good night. No, certainly I shall not, cried LaRue. So good of you, uh, I uh, do like omelette. Good night. Calmly he returned to his writing table, where, in the pursuit of the elusive character, whose exploits he was chronicling, and who had brought him fame and wealth, he forgot in the same moment Helen Cumberley and the omelette. The table clock ticked merrily on. Scratch, scratch, splutter, scratch, went Henry LaRue's pen, for this up-to-date literateur, essayist by inclination, creator of Martin Zeta, criminal scientist by popular clamor, was yet old-fashioned enough and sufficient of an enthusiast to pen his work while lesser men dictated. 
So amidst that classic company, smiling or frowning upon him from the oaken shelves, where Petronius Arbiter Exquisite rubbed shoulders with Balzac Plebeian, where Omar Khayyam leaned confidentially toward Philostratus, where Mark Twain, standing squarely beside Thomas Carlyle, glared across the room at George Meredith, Henry LaRue pursued the amazing career of Martin Zeta. It wanted but five minutes to the hour of midnight when again the doorbell clamored in the silence. LaRue rode steadily on. The bell continued to ring, and furthermore, the ringer could be heard beating upon the outer door. Soames, cried LaRue irritably. Soames, why the hell don't you go to the door? LaRue stood up, dashing his pen upon the table. I shall have to sack that damn man, he cried. He takes too many liberties, stopping out until this hour of the night. He pulled open the study door, crossed the hallway, and opened the door beyond. In out of the darkness, for the stairlights had been extinguished, staggered a woman, a woman whose pale face exhibited, despite the ravages of sorrow or illness, signs of quite unusual beauty. Her eyes were wide-opened and terror-stricken, the pupils contracted almost to vanishing point. She wore a magnificent cloak of civet fur, wrapped tightly about her, and, as LaRue opened the door, she tottered past him into the lobby, glancing back over her shoulder. With his upraised hands plunged pathetically into the mop of his hair, LaRue turned and stared at the intruder. She groped as if a darkness had descended, clutched at the sides of the study doorway, and then, unsteadily, entered and sank down upon the big Chesterfield in utter exhaustion. LaRue, rubbing his chin perplexedly, walked in after her. He scarcely had his foot upon the study carpet, ere the woman started up, tremulously, and shot out from the enveloping furs a bare arm and a pointing, quivering finger. "'Close the door!' she cried hoarsely. "'Close the door! He has followed me!' The disturbed novelist, as a man in a dream, turned, retraced his steps, and closed the outer door of the flat. Then— rubbing his chin more vigorously than ever, and only desisting from this exercise to fumble in his disheveled hair, he walked back into the study, whose Athenian calm had thus mysteriously been violated. Two minutes to midnight, the most respectable flat in respectable Westminster, a lonely and very abstracted novelist, and a pale-faced beautiful woman, enveloped in costly furs, sitting staring with fearful eyes straight before her. This was such a scene as his sense of the proprieties and of the probabilities could never have permitted Henry LaRue to create. His visitor kept moistening her dry lips and swallowing, emotionally. Standing at a discreet distance from her, Madame, began LaRue nervously, she waved her hand, enjoining him to silence, and at the same time intimating that she would explain herself